I love having the elementary age kids with us here uh, in the service during that music portion. After we sing, Come Ye Sinners, my, my six-year-old son turns to me. He says, I like the marchy songs. Uh, it's like, I do too, buddy. Uh, so that's just so, so precious. Uh, and, and being the father of elementary age children it has a way of, of teaching you to, to guard your tongue. Right? Because kids have a way of repeating what you say for good and for ill. Right, and parents, I'm sure you have have seen that. I remember, we were sledding last year, and my my boys are way up on the hill, and as they're starting to come down, my my boys who at that time were five and and four, they're saying, "Oh dear, oh dear," and I'm like, "That is totally my wife's words coming out of out of my uh, my children. Like, that's not what you would expect five year old boys to say going down the, the hill. Oh dear." And, and, and it's, it's amazing how much they, they pick up. And I've found also at times that, that my, my oldest son, who likes the, the marchy songs, he's now beginning to, to hold me accountable to my promises. Right? He begins to, uh, to call me if I say, oh, hey, we can, we can have that snack when we get home. Right? Well, if I say that, what does he expect? Yeah, he, he, he expects a snack. But, but even underneath him expecting a, a snack or, or watching a show, he expects me to keep my word. And I know, though I've been saved by Christ, I'm, I'm still a sinner. And I still have tendencies to, to not necessarily keep all my promises. But God is... Not like a man. Amen. That he is able to to keep every one of his words, every one of his promises. Indeed, he cannot go back on his word. Numbers twenty three nineteen puts it in this way. He says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. But he or has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not establish it? And that's, that's something that we need to, to constantly be reminded of. That God does not break His Word. If He has promised it, He will fulfill it. And the promises of God are absolutely sure. Amen? And, and it's easy to give an, an amen to that when we're sitting here, right? It's a lot more difficult when, when we're out in the world and we're facing circumstances. Uh, and it's easy for God to, to disappear from our lives. Uh, in those day-to-day practical moments, it's easy to forget the trustworthiness of God. But this is what we, what we need to remember. Uh, and I, there's so many instances in Scripture that we can go to, that we can turn to. And even uh, as we work through uh, the book of Joshua, we'll come to a point after all of the, the land is apportioned where uh, Joshua writes that every promise of God's Word was kept to Israel. So it's a profound statement and we need to, to keep in mind as we're as we're here in john 16 and as jesus is is walking and speaking with his 11 disciples and as he is preparing them he, he's going to, to make some some promises to them in, in the section that we're going to, to study this morning chapter 16 verses 12 to, to 15 
He's going to, to make promises concerning how the Spirit is going to work in and through them. And this comes on the, the heels of what we studied a couple weeks back. In, in verses 5 through 11 in chapter 16, Jesus, in essence, made promises or told them how the Spirit was going to be at work in unbelievers in the world around them. Uh, the Spirit would come and yet he would uh, work to, to convict people, to convince them of three, three big things, right? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Uh, and, and Jesus laid that out for them as an encouragement of they're going to go out and they're going to proclaim the gospel. And the spirit is going to be the one who's going to be at work in those who they are speaking to. But now as he's going to shift gears and address how the spirit works in uh, these disciples, in these apostles, uh, he's going to make two promises to them. And I would invite you to, to read with me in verses 12 and uh, 12 to 15. What Jesus says to them, he says, I I still have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak from himself. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So while, while these words that we just read were originally directed to the, the 11 uh, apostles as they're walking through Jerusalem, uh, the promises made here have significant implications for us even today. Now, there are some timeless uh, implications and applications uh, that make this uh, relevant and that that let us see and to behold how the Spirit is at work in our lives uh, as well as disciples of Christ. As I said, Jesus is going to make two promises here concerning the the Spirit's work in in the lives of uh, the disciples uh, and in our lives. And I want to look at these two promises, but I'd love to, to pause for a moment and pray. And ask for the Spirit to lead us and guide us even as we study uh, the promises about Him. Father, You are our Creator, our Sustainer. You are the one who has given us life and breath and everything. We owe all adoration, praise, and glory to You. We thank You for Your written Word and the Word made flesh, Your Son. We thank You that You... Uh, in tandem with your son, have sent the Spirit uh, to lead us and to guide us. And we pray that he would do exactly that right now as we study your word. May your word uh, bear uh, fruit in our hearts and in our lives and may it accomplish its intended purpose, even as we read in Isaiah, that you would be glorified and that we would be built up into the image and likeness of our Savior, your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to look at these two two promises, and there's... More promises, but I'm kind of lumping them together in two general categories. Okay? Uh, the first promise that we see is really in verses 12 and 13, uh, that Jesus is going to promise that the Spirit will guide the disciples in the truth. If you look back at those verses, Jesus begins by saying, I still have many more things to say to you. All right, there is a lot more that could be said. Time is short. Uh, and uh, the, the level of instruction that the disciples need at this moment is, is far greater than the time will allow. Uh, so Jesus says, I have more to say 
But he also says something about their capacity to receive what he's going to say as well. He says, I have a lot more to say, but you cannot bear them now. The idea is that you cannot carry. If I were to, if I were to unload on you right now, he, they wouldn't be able to, to carry what Jesus would, would give to them. Uh, and so they're, they're unable to carry the, the truth that he would give to them now. But there is coming a time, uh, verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, says he will guide you into all the truth. Uh, and so there's, there's this promise, this expectation of you can't handle the truth now, disciples, uh, but there's coming a time uh, when the Spirit comes that you will be able to carry that. And basically, uh, they're going to be strengthened and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be able to carry the full burden of what Jesus is going to, to give to them concerning the truth. Uh, and this is really the teaching ministry of uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, this is first introduced uh, to us in this same context uh, of the upper room discourse. If you just turn the page back to John chapter 14, verse 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And as we studied that passage several months ago, we saw that uh, part of the, the Spirit's role, he, he's not going to teach anything new. He's going to build upon what Jesus has already taught. He's going to, to uh, be a remembrancer. Remember that word? Uh, a remembrancer is somebody who reminds, somebody who, who brings to, uh, to memory uh, something else that has been said. That is the, the role of the Spirit. That he doesn't bring forth uh, anything new, but he calls uh, to mind what Jesus has already taught and said and proclaimed. And that's the same idea here uh, in chapter 16, verse 13, that he will guide you into all the truth. And, and most English translations have that preposition as into, uh, but in the Greek, uh, the word there is probably better translated as just in rather than into. And what's the difference between those two prepositions? Well, into uh, would seem to imply and indicate that you are entering into something. If you, if you are, going, if you are uh, going into a room, it implies that you were outside of the room and now you're going to have a, a change of status and you're going to be inside of the room. Uh, there's that, that change and that transference. But being in a room means that you're not necessarily going anywhere. You're already there. Uh, and I think that what the, the Greek w- would show us here in this passage is that where the Spirit is going to lead the disciples is not into some other place of truth that they haven't already been. Uh, they are already in the truth because they have been walking with Jesus Christ, who, as we saw in uh, John fourteen six, he is the way, the truth, and the life. So they've been walking with the truth, and the Spirit, when he comes, is going to continue to lead and guide the disciples to continue and understand that truth fully and completely, not to lead them somewhere else. And so this is, this is significant. Uh, and uh, the next statement here that, they're gonna guide, that he will guide the disciples into all the truth, uh, the next statement in verse 13 is going to affirm, again, that what he's going to do is not going to be introducing anything new. He says that he will not speak from himself, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. 
Uh, and so the Spirit, again, is not speaking uh, anything new from himself, but he's just passing along what he has heard, what he has received, what he takes from the Son, uh, and he will pass that on and give that to uh, the disciples, to the apostles. And uh, then he says that he will make known or disclose or announce uh, to them what is to come. And there's uh, multiple ways of understanding that what is to come. Some take that to speak only of future kind of end time events. But I think it's a whole lot more because at this point in time, uh, everything uh, in in the church era and in the Christian uh, life is forwards looking as jesus speaks to the disciples on the eve of his uh crucifixion what is to come is the life death and resurrection of christ and everything that flows out of that the the full implications of christ's first coming i think are in view here of what is still to come and what the spirit is going to lead the disciples to fully understand uh, as uh, they move forward and can carry out uh, and begin the, the church Really, all of the the mysteries that were veiled or hidden in the Old Testament are going to be made clear uh, in the New Testament. So this this would include uh, the the Jewish rejection of their Messiah, uh, the the death and the resurrection of the Messiah who was rejected by the Jewish people, uh, the salvation going forth to the Gentiles, the church as a distinct people of God, and then a second coming of the Messiah to restore Israel. All of this is is veiled in the Old Testament. You look back now and you see it. It it is there. But these were were mysteries that were hidden. And the Apostle Paul speaks about this uh, and kind of building upon this idea of of the Spirit leading uh, the apostles into the, the fullness of truth. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, If indeed you heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, about which when you read, that you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Uh, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it was now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. So the spirit has this ministry of making everything known to the apostles and prophets who are going to then uh, write those truths down into the pages of scripture. And so verse 13 assures these 11 disciples, these apostles, that the Spirit is going to, to guide them in comprehending everything. Right? There's been a lot of uh, statements from Jesus along the way that the disciples are going to kind of scratch their heads at. If you, if you read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, they're going to, uh, Jesus is going to speak in parables, and then usually Peter, right? He's like, uh, I have a question. Uh, can you explain this more fully? And the other disciples are going to do the, the same thing. Uh, and Jesus is, is promising them full comprehension of the truth that Jesus has spoken to them uh, when the Spirit comes. Uh, and this is also a significant assurance that the, the New Testament documents that we have, that you are resting on your lap there in, in your copy of God's Word, that those are fully inspired and authoritative and inerrant just in the same way uh, as the Old Testament was, right? Last week, uh, Tim taught on 2 Timothy 3, uh, 16 and, and 17. And what does, that, what does that say about the Scriptures? That all Scripture is God-breathed, breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, 
for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped uh, for every good work. And so th- this inspiration, and when Paul was saying that, he's speaking primarily about the Old Testament scriptures. Now, but he, here we have the assurance as well that the, the New Testament scriptures are fully uh, authoritative and inspired in the exact same way because the Spirit would lead the apostles in uh, into the, the entire truth uh, that Christ has revealed. And so if you think about it this way, this is, we have an unbreakable uh, inspired chain of communication uh, that God has worked out to be able to to communicate with us. Can we really trust the Bible? What we've seen over and over again in in John's gospel is that God the Father has sent the Son. If you turn back a few pages uh, to John chapter 5, God the Father has sent God the Son into the world to proclaim and to speak to the world. And Jesus is often going to speak about or talk about what he was sent to do. John chapter 5, beginning of verse 19. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing from himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in the same manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. Right? The, the, so that the son doesn't do anything except what the father is showing him and telling him to do. If you turn over to chapter 7, verse 16, Jesus uh, answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but from him who sent me. So the father sends the son, the son proclaims what the father has told him to say. If you turn over to John chapter 8, verse 26. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these I am saying to the world. Right? So you, you have this, this pattern, this chain of communication. The Father sending the Son, speaking to the Son. The Son speaks to the world. And then Jesus, now that he's going to depart and go to the Father, he's echoing the same things. He's going to send the Spirit. And what's the Spirit going to do? The Spirit is not going to say something completely different but but he's going to echo what he heard and he's going to speak and to disclose basically what he hears from the the son he's and what the son heard from the father is going to be communicated to the disciples and so what this really shows is the the unity and and the, the 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 unified will of the trinity now which is really uh important and very unique even in this times and in greek culture uh, they weren't uh, monotheists they were polytheists right they had all of these different gods uh, and uh, they those gods are constantly working against one another to try to accomplish whatever they're seeking to accomplish in the world around them if you ever uh, read uh, the iliad uh, by Homer, you get to see all of this on display, and you even have you know one god, uh, a goddess tricking a god and causing him to fall asleep, and then as soon as that god is asleep, you have all you know, his warriors uh, that he was you know fighting for start to lose the battle, and all of these other things. But and that's where over and over again you see in the Christian scriptures uh, the triunity of God. They all have the same purpose. They're not battling against one another, uh, but they're all working towards the same goal and the same end. And God. Thankfully so, he does not slumber or sleep or grow tired. Amen? And so this is an important theological uh, statement uh, here uh, concerning this chain of communication from Father to Son to Spirit. Uh, And then it goes on. It doesn't stop at the Spirit, but then who does the Spirit lead and guide? 
He leads and guides the, the apostles into all of the truth, and those apostles are going to write out the New Testament scriptures, uh, and those inspired scriptures now come down to us uh, and have been carried forth in this way. There's this unbreakable chain of communication from God to the scriptures to us, which is pretty amazing, right? Uh, and it's, it's superintended all along the way uh, until it gets to us. And I'm reminded of the, that, that old British game show from the early 2000s, the, the Weakest Link, and it had that, the, the moderator. You are the weakest link. And what would she say? Goodbye. Yeah. Uh, I never really watched the show, but that was a, a popular thing. And, and so you see this, this line of communication all along the way, and then it comes down to who's the weakest link in this chain of communication? It's us. It comes down to us fallen, uh, fallible human beings uh, who can misunderstand and misrepresent the scriptures. Uh, and, but God has superintended all of that to get to us. So if there's any error in understanding, it lies with, uh, with us. It's not the, the God's fault. It's our fault. Uh, and that's what we need to, to keep in mind and what Jesus is assuring uh, the, the disciples. He's assuring that the scriptures are going to be inspired and held together. And that they are completely trustworthy. And, and I think within all of this, again, you, you heard last week, and it was such a, a wonderful message on the, on the sufficiency of Scripture, the importance of Scripture, that God speaks, saves, and sanctifies according to His Word. Uh, and I gave a, a hearty amen to every one of those points that, that Tim preached. But we also see that we... Not only that we can trust the scriptures, that they are trustworthy, and that's what we, we see kind of in that unbreakable chain of communication. The scriptures are trustworthy. We can trust them, but there's also a moral imperative, a right response to a trustworthy scripture is that we must trust them. So we, we can give lip service and say, oh yeah, those are trustworthy, but then the implication is if those are trustworthy, I, I have to obey it. I have to submit myself and my life uh, to this uh, scripture uh, and in all that it says. Right? And, and to turn from the scriptures to some other source of wisdom is really turning away from wisdom and turning to foolishness and to idolatry. We, we need to, to stick with the scriptures that are set before us. Uh, and this book that you have with you, and you have multiple copies of it at home, it needs to be the final authority in every aspect of life. It's, it's the, the theological, the philosophical, uh, you could say the epistemological, dealing with knowledge. Uh, it's, it's the entire bedrock that we build upon as Christians. We have to, to stick with it. There's a, a wonderful short book by Kevin DeYoung that I would highly recommend. It's one of the books that we regularly teach our youth students through. It's called Taking God at His Word. And he teaches through a, a, a very memorable acronym uh, concerning God's Word. Uh, it, that acronym is SCAN, that God's Word is sufficient, that it is enough uh, for us to, to live upon. It tells us everything that we need to know for life and godliness. That, uh, so it's sufficient. That's the S. Uh, it is also clear uh, that we are able to understand uh, what uh, has been communicated to us in God's word. Again, God is the one who invented language. He's the one who has in, uh, created us. Uh, if he wanted to say something to us, he's able to communicate it in such a way that we are able to understand uh, and everyday people, anybody and everybody is able to, to pick up the, the scriptures uh, and be able to understand what God is calling us to be and to do. Uh, so God's word is sufficient. It is clear. The A is that God's word is authoritative. 
Uh, that we are to submit to the word of God as the highest authority in our lives. And then the end is that God's word is necessary. That you and I need God's word. It is, it is life. Uh, it is uh, direction and understanding. Now, I would encourage you to pick up that book and, and read through it. Uh, but that, that acronym is so, so helpful to keep in mind. Uh, John Calvin also puts it uh, this way, especially concerning the authority of Scripture. He says, since no daily responses are given from heaven, and the Scriptures are the only record in which God has pleased to consign his truth to perpetual remembrance, the full authority which they ought to possess with the faithful is not recognized unless they are believed to have come from heaven as directly as if God had been heard giving utterance to them. So so we need to understand and believe the trustworthiness of Scripture and that when we read the pages of Scripture, we are hearing from God himself. And again, we cannot give the Bible mere lip service uh, and understanding that there's really only two categories for it. If the, if the word of God, if this Bible is just human writings, then we should reject it in its entirety. Okay. And then we should just take it with, we throw it in with all of the other books that we don't need to submit our lives to it. But if it is the word of God and it is, then we need to obey it fully and completely. I love the way our own statement of faith as a church comes uh, to this conclusion about the Bible. It says, Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. Amen? Amen. And that's what we need to, to grapple with and wrestle with and regularly take inventory of within our own hearts and minds and lives. Are there truths in God's Word that I'm not really believing? Are there commands that I'm not really obeying? Uh, Am am I uh, disregarding portions of it uh, so that I can go my own way? Uh, But Jesus is affirming to the disciples that they will be led in the truth uh, and that that truth is going to be authoritative and the Spirit is going to guide them in that. And our response to the Word of God is rooted here in the truth of these verses in 12 and 13, that Jesus has promised the Spirit will guide the disciples in the truth. Uh, And then Jesus makes another promise in verses 14 and 15. Uh, and in those verses, the Spirit, uh, Jesus promises that the Spirit will glorify Jesus in all that he does. Verse 14 says, he will glorify me. Now, now that's a, it's a very simple statement. And again, all of the, the English translations begin it that way. But really in the Greek, it's that one. That one will glorify me. Speaking of the, the Holy Spirit glorifying Christ. Uh, And the Spirit's ministry uh, in the world and in believers, indeed everything that he does is focused upon bringing glory to God the Son. The Spirit is never ever about himself. He doesn't seek to get uh, attention or to glorify himself. He is always working to glorify Christ. Uh, and, And again, why is that? Well, it goes right along with that same pattern of revelation that we've already seen, uh, that the the Father sent the Son. And what's the whole mission of the Son? What is the Son all about? Doing the will of the one who sent me, sent him, God the Father. Uh, And so the the Son focuses on glorifying God the Father. And then uh, when the Spirit is sent, the Spirit focuses upon glorifying the Son. Uh, It is never about uh, seeking his own glory. Uh, And uh, this is the the pattern that we have seen throughout John's gospel. Uh, And uh, we we could turn in multiple places and see this same uh, reality over and over again. Uh, And so in the same way that the Spirit is going to to glorify 
Christ in everything that he does. And, and it's also explained, well, why does he do that? Uh, because Jesus is going to say much of the same things in verses 14 and 15 that he said in verse 13 uh, about this, this handing off of, of truth. Uh, he will glorify me for... Or because he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. So everything that the Spirit reveals or announces or discloses, where did he get that from? He took it from Jesus, right? So in essence, he's saying he's just going to disclose what already came from Jesus. But then in in the very next uh, statement in verse 15, where did uh, Jesus get everything that he has? All things that the Father has are mine. And therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So again, we have the, this same pattern of, of passing the baton, but also of, of giving glory. Uh, and, and so this is, uh, this is really, really important to, to grasp and to comprehend that the Spirit discloses what belongs to Jesus, does not speak from himself, uh, but he brings the full understanding of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus home to the disciples. Everything that Jesus has, he, he gives to the Spirit, and the Spirit then turns around. He doesn't keep that for himself. He turns around and gives it to the disciples, and they're going to put that into the pages of Scripture. They're going to unveil for us all of the ramifications of the first coming of Christ, and they're going to point to the second coming of Christ. And so this truth that the Spirit will glorify Jesus in all he does, it's important in a couple different ways. Number one, it... it it eliminates a lot of things that are claimed to be done in the name of the Spirit. The works of the Spirit, uh, if they're seeking attention for individuals uh, or for the Spirit himself, what do we immediately know? It's not, not genuine. Because the Spirit, he does what? He doesn't glorify himself. He glorifies Christ. And so we can, we can immediately eliminate many of the, the things that are done in uh, America and around the, the world today. Uh, in kind of the, the charismatic movement because they're, they're seeking to glorify the Spirit, but the Spirit only and always works to glorify Christ. And so that, that's an important truth in, in that sense. But also uh, what Jesus is, is laying out for us here, uh, this, is, this is an upstream truth. And I mentioned that, that term the other day when, when the men met for, for Titus 1, an, an upstream truth. This is, this is a, a headwater that many other truths flow out of. But what, but what do I mean by that? So a, a headwater is, is the source of a stream or a river. And, and it's really, in one sense, the, the most important part because that's the, the initial source of where water comes from is going to have a, an impact upon the quality of the entire stream. Uh, but also, the, the headwaters are, are more difficult to get to usually. So the, the headwaters of the, the Boise River uh, begin uh, around 10,000 feet elevation. Right? And there's, there's three forks to the Boise River. If you were to go up uh, beyond Lucky Peak Reservoir, uh, there's a, a north fork and a middle fork. And those uh, come together and they flow down into the Lucky Peak Reservoir. And then there's also a south fork of the Boise River that flows down into the reservoir uh, as well. And uh, th- those headwaters uh, contribute and, and lead down into uh, the smaller stream. But which, which part of the Boise River have you probably been to? Have you been to the headwaters, right? Those are difficult to, uh, to get to, right? Where, where do we like to go in the Boise River? 
Yeah, downstream. The, the downstream stuff is really, really easy to, to get through and wade through. Like I like to float, right? And, and, uh, let, me, let me do that between one park and another park. What's the, I know I ended Ann Morrison, but the other park, uh, forget where it, where it begins. Uh, I, we can see the river rats. Who they, oh, I know it's this park. Um, and some, some people go into the Boise River in January, and some people go in July, as I know. Uh, the, the brave go in January, the wise go in July. Um, but it takes a lot of work to get to those headwaters, but those headwaters are important. We, we like, in the Christian life, we like, to, we like to play downstream. We like to do the easy things, but oftentimes, even in the easy things, it's like, oh, I can do that. That's really simple. Uh, but then, to our surprise, we struggle with even the easy things. And, and why is that? Because those easy things are fed by the upstream truths. So the downstream commands of that we are given to live out the Christian life are fed by the upstream truths uh, that we like to, to skip over or that they're kind of fuzzy in our minds and in our hearts. We don't really pay attention to them. We don't really believe. Uh, and then when it comes to the downstream truths, because they're murky upstream, they're still murky downstream. That's why we continue to, to struggle and battle with sin in, in the Christian life. The, the upstream truths provide the reason, the motivation, and the persuasion for the Christian life. And the downstream commands are the practical implications of those upstream theological truths. So uh, if, if this is an upstream truth, what are its downstream implications? Well, the Father has sent the Son into the world... Uh, and so the Son seeks to glorify the Father while on the earth by doing the will of the Father. And then the Father and Son send the Spirit, and the Spirit uh, doesn't seek to glorify Himself, but He seeks to glorify the Son, who is seeking to glorify the Father. By, uh, and so the Spirit works by convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, by uh, making clear the, the, all of the truth to the apostles, uh, and then also by dwelling within each and every believer. Everyone who has trusted in Christ uh, has the Spirit dwelling inside of him or her. Uh, and the Spirit is there to lead us and to guide us. But, but think about this. What is the whole purpose that the Spirit came to do? He came to do what? To, to glorify the Son. And now where is the Spirit? In us. So what are you and I to do? What is the Christian life all about? This is, as we travel downstream, we get down to what am I to do and be as a Christian? I'm to uh, continue that same pattern that we see in the Trinity in here in the Gospel of John. That my life is not my own. It's not about me. I'm supposed to turn around and glorify my Savior. Yeah, the triune God uh, who has planned, accomplished, and applied salvation to my heart and to my life. Uh, and, and this is where we need to, to work through applying and living out not only the, the downstream commands, the basics, but also spending time meditating and thinking about the, the upstream truths as well. And, and if you begin to read uh, the New Testament epistles with this in mind, you'll start to see uh, the apostles weaving this in everywhere. So listen to Ephesians four, twenty-nine to 30. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for building up what is needed so that it will give grace to those who hear. Now, is that an upstream truth or a downstream command? Talk to me. That's a downstream command. What are we to do? Let an exact number of unwholesome words, let none, none 
No unwholesome words proceed from your mouth. That's the command. But only words which are good for building up, for edification. Now, since all of us do that perfectly, uh, we, don't, we can move beyond this, right? No. We all struggle with that. We all tend to tear down with our words rather than building up. And I would say especially the people that we're closest to. Right? Where do we tear down the most? Probably within our own household. Those are the people that we are most familiar with. And in that moment, we probably don't need to be reminded of the downstream command. You ever do that when someone's in sin? You just you shoot from the hip and you remind them of that command? You're not supposed to do that. And then what do they do? They do it even more. Right? But in that moment, what have they forgotten? They've forgotten the upstream truth. But listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, the very next verse. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now that's an upstream truth. And that's what we really need to think about in those moments when we're tempted to tear people down, right? Yeah, I, can, I can go through with this, but what's the real ramifications? I'm going to grieve the Holy Spirit who's dwelling within me. And in those moments, we've forgotten all of that. Again, we become practical atheists in the moment of sin. We ignore the, the bigger truths and we focus only on the, the smaller commands if we focus upon them at all. But, but we need to keep all of this in mind. There has to be a balance to all of this. Spirit seeks to glorify the Son in all things, and we ought to follow in that same pattern in our own lives. We taught through the book of Philippians in equipping hour today. If you turn over there with me, Philippians chapter 1. I said throughout the New Testament, you're going to see this this mixing and intertwining of upstream truths and downstream implications. And you see this lived out in the life of the Apostle Paul. He's writing this from prison. And and he's writing with a full realization that there have already been other apostles who have been martyred. We see Acts 12, uh, James was killed by Herod. He knows that the gospel is probably ultimately going to cost him his life. But this is what he writes from prison in Rome to the Philippian church. Speaking of his chains and his imprisonment in verse 19, For I know that this will turn out for my salvation through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, what, what, is, what is Paul focused on there? Not, not, not the downstream. What, is, what are his meditations? What is he always thinking about? That Christ would be glorified. He understands the significance of the Spirit dwelling within us within us and what the spirit is to be about and he is all about living and dying for the glory of god 
That's what he is, is focused on. And he holds loosely. I love the way one of the, the Puritans speaks about this topic. Thomas Manton says, We should be content to be abased and obscure, provided Christ is honored and exalted. Many times we must be content not only to be active instruments, but passive objects of his glory. If God will glorify himself by our poverty or our disgrace, our pain and sickness, we must be content. We need to deal with God that we may have the end and leave the means to his own choosing. That God may be glorified in our condition, whatever it is. If he wills for us to be rich and full, that he might be glorified in our bounty. If he wills for us to be poor and low, that he might be glorified in our patience. If he will have us healthy, that he may be glorified in our labor. If he will have us sick, that he may be glorified in our pain. If he will have us live, that he may be glorified in our lives. And if he will have us die, that we may be glorified in our deaths. Amen? That, that's the, the bigger picture that, that we need to, to take away from here. And we need to meditate upon those upstream truths. Don't, don't fly past those really big theological sections in the New Testament. Camp out there. Think about that. Meditate on Memorize verses of those big picture theological truths. And then wrestle with that in your day-to-day life. Memorize the scriptures and wrestle with them on the commute. What's the significance of this? Here's the the truth. What are all of the downstream implications? How should this impact my life? The way that I speak to my spouse, to my kids, to my coworkers, to my neighbors. How should this impact how I spend my time? If the spirit dwelling inside of me, his goal is to glorify Christ in everything. That should be my goal. And so no part of my life is left untouched by that. That impacts everything that I do, everything that I am about, every priority, every decision that I make. That's the significance of what we see here. And Jesus is promising to the disciples, the Spirit will glorify Him. We see these two big promises. Both concerning what the Spirit will do in the future. When He would come upon the disciples. And what is amazing is that for the disciples, this was, you know, future tense assurances of what the Spirit would come and do in their lives. But for you and I, we're looking back, right? And so for the disciples, they were walking in faith. and, And as they trusted God, they were growing and being sanctified. And they came to see the trustworthiness of God that he fulfilled what he promised to do. Now, for us, you and I get to see, as we look back, that what Jesus promised, did he do it? Yeah. Talk to me. Did he do it? Yes, absolutely. Will he continue to work in and through us as well? Yeah. That's Philippians 1 as well, that what God began in you, he will continue and to perfect. So we need to be reminded of the trustworthiness of God on a regular basis. Remember Christ has promised these things. This is how he's going to work in my life and in your life. And then do I trust that? Am I, am I going to trust his word and submit to it? Or do I want to go my own way? And am I willing to submit to the word of God and all that it commands? Or like in most of what it commands? Right? No, again, honestly assessing. 
Where are we at? Do I trust the promises of God, the the promises of his word? Am I convinced that the glory of our Savior should be my chief aim in everything that I do? And this this is the pattern of the triune God who has worked to save us. And if I am convinced of those upstream truths, then I will obey the downstream commands with joy. And I would say if you, if you have a hard heart towards some of the downstream commands, if you're doing that begrudgingly, if you're still clinging to your sin, I don't know if I want to let go. I would say you're, you're, you need to spend more time on the upstream. You, you need to, to, to paddle higher upriver and camp out and meditate there for a time. If you're struggling to obey If you don't really have a heart, you need to learn more about who God is and all that Christ has done for you. Let that be your meditation. Jesus lived and died and rose again so that sinners, you and I, could be reconciled to God. So we could be set free from the power and presence of sin in our hearts and in our lives. It's always going to have some little remnant in our flesh, but we can be battling against that. And the Spirit is promised to come and to empower us in that same battle. Are you willing to fight? Do you believe those upstream truths? Do you believe that you have been called to live not for yourself, but for the glory of God in every single thing that you do? And if you are doing that, if you're living for the glory of God... Everybody around you is going to know that. Everyone will, will see that. To quote Thomas Manton again, and, and, and if each and every one of us is living for the glory of God, that's going to spread. Parents, if you're living for the glory of God, that's going to be caught by your children. If we're doing that as individual households in our church. It's going to spread from household to household. And then it's spread, spread out into the world. Thomas Manton says this, Also a Christian should desire all others around him also to glorify God. And I love this. He says, A fire turns all things near it into fire, and leaven spreads until it has subdued the whole lump. So is the nature of grace. It loves to spread itself. We love to reach and diffuse our influence on others. False professors are not interested in those about them. But a true Christian will be earnest and much in this matter. Therefore, we need to be much in prayer that God's name will be hallowed. May we not only pray to that end, but may we live to that end as well. To the glory of our Savior. Amen.